Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Romans chapter 13, look at verse 11. It says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now go over to the book of Ephesians. And notice in chapter 5 of the book of, of Ephesians. He says, beginning in verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Then turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And notice verse 34. He says, Awake to righteousness, and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And then underline this, I speak this to your shame. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again for the filling of the Holy Ghost. Take the words of God, take them deep into hearts. Thank you for this good, faithful crowd that's come out tonight. Lord, they want to be blessed, and I believe you want to bless them. I know what they've already heard has stirred up their hearts. I sure don't want to mess that up. Lord, so fill me, I pray. And Lord, may you do a work, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we just read are the only three times in the Scripture, in the epistles, not in the Scripture, but in the epistles, that you find that word awake. When God uses the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell the church to wake up. Now, how many here love sleep? You love to sleep. Would you raise your hand? Anybody here love to sleep? I love to sleep. I like sleeping. There are times I wish I'd just stay in bed, but I don't. Uh, I get up early as well. Now, I don't get quite as early as you normally. Normally, I get up around 5 o'clock, close enough. Uh, and I, I didn't know there was two 4 o'clocks on the clock. I, 5 o'clock, I felt that was early enough for me. But, but anyway, uh, I love to sleep. However, sleep isn't always good. I go back to February the 10th, 1979, 2 o'clock in the morning. I was pastoring Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church in Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee. A little country place, didn't have a downtown section. It had a store for 800 people. It was right next to Aaron, Tennessee, which was a town of about 2,000 people. And, uh, and that was it. That was it for Houston County, Tennessee. And we had had a snowfall on that date. We had a snowfall of about uh, 10 inches. The temperature had got way down to around zero. It was the coldest night of the year. That snowfall, we got snows once in a while, but we hadn't had anything like that. I had gotten my car stuck in my own driveway on that day. We went to bed that night. Now, in that parsonage that we were living in, uh, we had a wood stove. That's where I was introduced to wood stoves. And I learned something about wood heat. Wood heat is the best heat that there is. I mean, if you want to go to sleep and sleep good and cozy and warm, you just get a wood stove fire going and you can have yourself a great night. I loved it. 
Well, I had some church members who cut wood for me, and I appreciated that, and they'd bring it by and drop it in. I didn't know, though, that one of them was cutting green wood. I had no idea. I had no idea that green wood would create creosote, and that could plug up your flu, and that could create a fire. I had no idea about that either. When I went to bed that night, I mean I had that fire going. It was wonderful. Now, the wood stove was on the other side of the house from where we slept. About 2 o'clock in the morning, my wife is waking me up. She said, Mike, Mike, there's smoke in the house. There's smoke in the house. Get up. And so and here I am. I'm laying in bed. I'm sleeping nice. I'm sleeping deep and wonderful. And for just a few seconds, I'm laying there. What on earth is going on? Not because of the smoke. Why is she waking me up? What's wrong with her? I'm having a good night's sleep here. Now, you know, of course, had I stayed asleep, I'd have died. Thank God I didn't stay asleep. I got up, got out of bed. I had no idea that the house was on fire. I walked over to the bedroom door. I looked down the hall and I could see into the den. And I noticed there was fire up in the, up in the ceiling. And so, wow, that woke me up. Now, the fire was going, uh, it was burning, I told my wife, put on some clothes, get Kathy, we only had one daughter at that time, and she got her, and get the dog, go out the house, I'm calling the volunteer fire department, of course the volunteer fire department's going to take them longer to get there, uh, because they've got to drive from their homes to where the thing, get everything around, and then get it over to our house, and uh, man, I remember outside, that night, by the way, my my wife went running across next door to uh, our neighbor, and he was a deacon there at Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, knocked on Brother Schmidt's door. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just trying to make some last-minute things to make sure everything's out of the house. And then I go running out of the house right past one of the nicest pair of snowmobile boots that I have ever had and didn't even think about it. I went running across to his house. I was going to ask him, let's get a hose and see if we can put that on there, you know, on the roof and help to put this thing out. And I didn't know it, but my wife, there was a little hill between my house and Brother Schmidt's house, and my wife and my daughter had fallen and rode down that little hill. And I went running right by him. And my daughter looked up at her mama and said, Daddy didn't even stop to help us. But I didn't even know that they were there. So, uh, you know, he, my neighbor was getting the hose out and barely got it to my house, but that wasn't going to put it out. The volunteer fire department showed up. Uh, we were finally able to get my car pushed back away from the house a little bit. And, uh, and, you know, they're trying to fight it, but you could see in the dining room and the living room that it was just all ablaze. And, man, we just stood there and watched the house burn down or burn up. I don't know. The fire was going up. The house was coming down. Uh, it got pretty bad. And that night, I went, we went to, over to Brother Schmidt's house. They put us up in a room there. We lost pretty much everything we had except the clothes that we had on our back. Uh, the fire took care of the den, the living room, the kitchen, the dining room. Uh, took care of most of the hall. Didn't quite destroy much back in our bedrooms, which was good because the, all the pictures that we had were up in the closet in my daughter's room. And even though those books ended up being singed, we didn't lose the pictures because there's no way back then we'd have got those back. Nobody had cell phones and all these different ways to have, you know, keep pictures. 
So we didn't have that. But we got down beside the bed, and we prayed, and we asked the Lord, Lord, please, we want to thank you, first of all, that since you didn't take all of us, that you didn't take just one of us. That would have been practically unbearable. And then we said, Lord, please help us to never complain about this. I'd rather have everything burned up and be in the center of your will than have everything and be out of your will. And so what we did, we just praised the Lord. When people would come to us, oh, we're so sorry. Don't be sorry, man. We're in the center of God's will. I don't have any doubt about that. God's going to take care of us. It's another opportunity to see him work. Praise the Lord for that. Now, I did have two times when I came very close to complaining. One of those times, we well, first of all, before that took place, that next Monday, we went over to the house. My wife with several of the ladies went to try to, you know, see if there was anything that they could posit, uh, salvage. And so I went in. I was I had been a bowler. Anybody here bowl? Anybody here bowl? Well, nobody, oh, one person maybe, a little bit. Uh, I'd been a bowler. Man, I had a pair of wingtip bowling shoes, black and white. I looked cool when I was bowling in those shoes. And I had a bowling ball. And it, was in, it was in the closet just outside of the living room. And so I went in there. I wondered if maybe the bowling ball survived. And so I opened up the door, and I saw that the clothes that were on, and the coats that were on the hangers, that they had kind of melded off the hangers and melded onto my bowling bag. And so I started digging away at that thing, come to find out that the bowling bag had melted and the zipper had melted right in. I had the only bowling ball with a zipper in it. Of course, I wouldn't be able to use it again, kind of ended my bowling days as well, not that I bowled all that much at that time anymore, but uh, we had strange things like that. Well, we decided we needed to make up a list of what we lost for the insurance. And while we were talking about the things we lost, we were making up the list, the more things we put down, I noticed that my attitude was getting worse. And whereas we had been rejoicing and just enjoying God, that it was getting kind of ugly. And so finally I just said, "Hun, I want you to put the paper up. We're not going to do this anymore. Let's just praise the Lord for a while. Now the second time that I almost went to complaining was when I found out we didn't have insurance anyway. <laughs> but the Lord knew that we didn't have insurance. But he sure did take care of us, for which we praise him. Now, here's the thing. Sleep is normally, basically, a good thing. I like to sleep. I enjoy sleep. In my old age, I don't sleep near as much as what I used to. In my old age, I, I can't sleep as much as what I used to. And I, I don't know if I'm com- not comfortable or my bones just ache more. I'm not sure what it is. But I miss not sleeping like I used to sleep. But I realize that, hey, I'm going to be dead soon and I'll get all the rest that I need. Now, whereas sleep is basically a good thing, that night sleep would have killed me. If I had stayed asleep, it would have killed me. I submit to you that our biggest problem is not those who sleep late on Sunday morning. And I, it's not also those that fall asleep while we're preaching. It's those who are sound asleep spiritually with their eyes wide open while they're sitting in our pews or chairs, depending on whatever the case may be. Our biggest problem 
is all of us who are spiritually asleep. And it's interesting to me that the three different churches, to the church at Rome, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Corinthians, the Holy Spirit's trying to get their attention, and he tells them, awake! And he does that for different reasons. Now, I want you to notice some things. First of all, I need to mention that the lost do not need to wake up. The lost need to come forth. You know the story in John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He was dead in trespasses and sins. And he needed to come forth uh, for life. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Bible says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus gave the invitation, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. In John six thirty seven, Jesus declared, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Dead in trespasses and sins, that's the lost person. But he wants that person to have life, and you get life by coming to Jesus Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that died for your sins, was buried, rose three days later from the dead, and he came so you can have life. Hallelujah. If you're lost today, come to Christ. Guaranteed. Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What a marvelous truth. Now I realize here we are on a Tuesday evening. It is Tuesday, isn't it? And uh, with snow and all that outside, and probably most everyone here, probably everyone here, has made a profession of faith. And so praise the Lord. But I still need to get that message out in case there is someone here that has not been born again. But I got to thinking about that term, awake. Why would he tell them to do that? And I began meditating on that. I began meditating on the signs of a sleeper. What are some signs of a sleeper? Because I believe the signs of a physical sleeper parallel the signs of a spiritual sleeper. So that you could tell whether or not you're asleep spiritually. For instance, number one, A sleeper sees absolutely no need. You know, a guy that's sound asleep, he could have been working all day long. He could be dirty from hand to foot. He doesn't know it. He's asleep. He doesn't see the need of getting clean. He's not worried about getting a shower. Man, he just sees no need. There's nothing that's going to move him. And that's the way it is with a spiritual sleeper. Preacher gets up and he gets all excited about things. And a spiritual sleeper is sitting there thinking, what's he so excited about? Why is he making such a big deal out of that? Why is he always preaching on the little? I I just don't understand it, preacher. I'm not convicted about that. Everybody around here does that. What is the problem? I mean, I've heard people say things like this. Well, preacher, evidently he doesn't understand. That's just our culture. I want to make a statement about that. Culture never trumps Bible. Bible always trumps culture. And according to the Word of God, every culture is wicked. Our culture 
is wicked. I believe our culture is far worse than Sodom and Gomorrah for a number of reasons. We're still murdering over a million babies a year by way of abortion. You know, the left, they got all excited and upset about the Roe v. Wade thing that the Supreme Court did. People are still being aborted in this country. That didn't stop abortion in the United States. It's still going on. These people have gone absolutely bizarre, bonkers, and nuts because that's what they are, bizarre, bonkers, and nuts. But there's a lot of Christians who are sitting back there, what's the big deal? I don't get it. And that's the reason is, is that they're sound asleep. Something else about a sleeper. They're blind to their own actions. Now, I hate to admit this, but there have been times, I've been married 54 years. I got, now, I was a baby, man. I was a baby when I got married. I was 18 years old. I'd have beat either one of my daughters if they'd even thought about getting married at 18. But <laughs> I was 18. But my wife and I, we were lost. She was 19. I was 18. We got married in 1968 in uh, July of that year. I still remember my anniversary date, July the 6th. Uh, you know, and I can remember, I remember a lot of things. I'm not totally gone yet. But there have been times in our marriage... When for some reason, I don't know what I was dreaming about, but I have reached over and smacked my wife. Now, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I was sound asleep. I had no idea what I was doing. There have been, there have been times when my wife says that I have sat up in bed and started preaching. And then laying back down and going to sleep. She'd tell me in the morning, come on, that's not true. She said, yeah, you were, and you got in your preach. I said, well, did you take notes? That might have been the best message I've ever preached, man. Take notes the next time I sit up and preach. I'm just simply saying that a, a sleeper is blind to their actions. We had a good couple in our church. I still have that same good couple in our church. I remember the day they got saved. But they, they've been entrenched with us for uh, quite a while. I've been pastor there for 33 years. And uh, they normally sit in somewhere around this type of section right here. And it really wasn't all that long ago we had a visiting family come in from somewhere. They got there before this family got there. And they sat down right where that couple normally sits. And they actually went up to him, and they said, that's where we sit. When I found out about that, I was horrified. I couldn't believe it. That, that couple's been coming to our church plenty long enough to know you don't do something like that. That is wicked and wrong. Why would they do it? They were asleep. Spiritually speaking, they were just asleep. They didn't get it. They were spiritually asleep. Christians do a lot of things, and they better be asleep, because if they're not asleep, then they just got a wicked heart altogether. And it's amazing some of the things that they'll even say to one another. There have been times, Brother Wells, when I have, I've said this from the pulpit. I said, there are times, folks, when I want to get some duct tape, as you all are leaving the building and have the ushers put it around your mouth, so you'll just shut up all week. Some of you are doing more damage with your tongues than I've ever done in any message I preach. And I've laid some real eggs while I've been preaching too. 
Some sleepwalk and have no control. They don't know where they are. And boy, there are people that are spiritually asleep like that too. Not only that, a sleeper's physical powers accomplish absolutely no good. You know, the strong build as many houses as the weak. When they're asleep, they don't build any. A sleeper may toss and turn, but they really don't accomplish anything. They not only build no houses, they plant no fields, they harvest no crops, they earn no money, unless, of course, they're a security guard. (laughs) At Madison Baptist Church, most of the soul winning is not done by those who have got the gift of gab or a special ability. The soul winning at Madison Baptist Church is done by people who are awake. There are a lot of people, I've had people say, Preacher, you've got to understand, I, I, I can't talk. I said, then why do you have that cell phone if you can't talk? You can talk, I've seen you talking on it. Don't tell me you can't talk. It's that you can talk about the weather, you can talk about Alabama football, you can talk about Auburn football. And you can talk about that new car you just got, but you can't talk about Jesus, and that's because you're sound asleep spiritually. You need to wake up. There are lost people all about us who need to hear the gospel. The Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you realize you cannot preach or give the gospel to the wrong person? So what if they're already saved? They'll appreciate it that you cared for their soul. Not only that, a sleeper does not appreciate the value of time. I'll tell you, it's that way every time with me. I go to sleep and I feel like I'm waking up the next five minutes. I may have been asleep for eight hours. Didn't know it. My daughter Kathy learned something early. We used to take these long trips up to Fairhaven. It was about a 10-hour drive, 11-hour drive. She would get in the car in the back seat, snuggle up in the back seat, and go to sleep. We'd stop about Louisville, Kentucky to get gas. She'd go out and go to the restroom, get back in the car, go to sleep. And she'd sleep all the rest of the way we got till we got there. And then she'd say, my, that was a short trip. And I'm sitting here just flat wore out because I've just spent 10 hours driving my car. But when you're asleep, time goes by so fast. There's no... Uh, uh, appreciation of the value of time not only that a sleeper lives in an extorted dream world and not reality anybody here ever have any strange dreams now you know one thing i like about it is this i've never lost a fight in my dreams i'll tell you what just wait till i go to sleep nobody can beat me i'm a tough guy in my sleep I heard about the man who dreamed he ate a three-pound marshmallow and woke up and his pillow was gone. (laughs) And there are a whole lot of people like that spiritually asleep in the church. They live in an extorted dream world. Somehow they think that they are the pillar and ground of the church, that they are more important than everybody else, and everybody better, better make sure that they give them their due. And they get their feelings hurt for every little time that they're just not lifted up. Why? They're asleep. They're asleep. They're living in an extorted dream world. They've missed it. Something else about sleepers. Dreamer, I mean, for sleepers, normal activity irritates 
a sleeper. Now, I've learned something over the years. I, I get up before my wife and have for a number of years. But when I get up, I don't, go, I don't turn on the light and go over to the dresser drawers and open up the drawers and slam the drawers. Uh, when I go out of the room, I don't slam the door. I mean, just normal activity. When I get up, I'm quiet. You know why? She's asleep. And normal activity irritates a person who's asleep. When I'm asleep, I want it quiet. I don't want the lights turned on. I don't want anything like because I'm asleep. And it's amazing how normal activity in church irritates sleepers. When I went to Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when it was still around, I went to Tennessee Temple University, they baptized every service, and they baptized a bunch of people. Sometimes, man, they'd be baptized in 25, 30 people. And, and Dr. Robertson, normally the pastor of the church, he would have uh, the song leader get up leading a song. This is at the end of the service. And then he would go back, prepare for baptism, and then baptize how many ever he had to baptize. I'm talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings. Uh, they're just people getting saved all the time. Of course, they were running about 10,000 in Sunday school at that time and had a membership, they said, of over 50,000 people, which always made me wonder where the other 40,000 people were at. But regardless of that, that doesn't matter. But it's interesting, there would be times that Dr. Robertson would say, now I'm going to dismiss you at this time, but if you're still uh, standing around or sitting in the pew or talking to folks, when the light when the light up there comes on and we turn down the lights in the auditorium, then we want you to stop whatever you're doing, stay right there, do not move. And it's interesting, he'd go up there, when he'd come out, people would complain. Well, normal activity in a Baptist church is you baptize believers. That's exciting. That's special. Matter of fact, that's one of the best things beside people actually getting born again that's what the church is supposed to be doing to all of its converts. You would think the entire church would be rejoicing. This is normal activity. Have an invitation song, and sometimes you know, the invitations would go for 10, 12 verses. You say, my, that's a long time for an invitation. Well, they had people saved. And some people... Come on, man, it's time to get out of here. I, I get after our folks about the fact that when it gets to the end of the service, we're not done when we start the invitation. That's not when you put your coat on. Because all that does is provide a release for somebody who's under conviction, and that directs their attention to something else. I mean, why would a person, we're not done, they know we're not done, we haven't had the closing prayer, we're having an invitation, why would they reach down and put on their coat so they can get to the parking lot real quick. I'll tell you why. Because they're sound asleep. They're sound asleep spiritually. Man, that's what we <laughs> That's one of the things that we're supposed to be doing. Not only that, a sleeper is unconscious of the beauty around them. We made a trip out to Navajo land to visit a Navajo missionary. Our family did. We were going on vacation Wanted to see the Grand Canyon. I'd never seen the Grand Canyon. Driving out that way, of course, we went through the Painted Desert. Absolutely beautiful. A lot of great scenery. It's amazing how God could take something that is so desolate and make it so beautiful. Well, my daughter Kathy, of course, with all that driving, she sound asleep in the back seat. She didn't see any of it. She missed it all. 
Spiritual sleepers do not appreciate the beauty of a saved soul. That just means the preacher is going to extend the invitation one more verse. The beauty of following in believers' baptism, the beauty of rededicated lives, the beauty of a new convert, the beauty of a soul-winning church, the beauty of a separated stand. They get irritated because they're asleep. And I dare say there have been times in my spiritual life when I've been asleep. But there are those parallels between the physical sleeper and the spiritual sleeper. So here in these epistles... We have the command to the churches to wake up. We've got three reasons. Go back to Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He says, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Do you understand that we're never going to have more time to serve Jesus than we've got right now? I'm 73 years of age. I don't know how much time I've got left. But my mom died at 59 of cancer. My dad died at 63 of a heart attack. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect to live this long. I can remember back when I was pastoring in Manchester, Tennessee. I was 35 years of age. I was laying in bed, 35th birthday. And I, I still remember thinking, if God gives me my three score and ten, I'm half done. 35 years. But hey, that's still 35 years. If God gives me my... Wait, I'm in overtime. I'm in overtime. And you realize when you're in overtime, you know how it normally ends? Sudden death. (laughs) I'm, I'm just saying. You say, man, that's scary. I don't know. Seeing Jesus isn't scary. I can't wait to see him. He said, now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. If we're going to serve Jesus, we need to do it now. I I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen that once they retire, then they'll start going out visiting. Once they retire, and you know what I found? When they retire, they still don't go out. They told themselves that to make them feel good for a while. And what they need to do is wake up, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Either by death or by the coming of Jesus, and I pray even so come Lord Jesus tonight. We need him to come, we want him to come. But I fear that the main reason most of us want him to come is we're afraid about what's happening to our country politically. And that's not the reason to want Jesus to come back. We ought to be desiring for Christ to come every day because of who He is. My Savior, my Redeemer, I can't wait to see Him. But I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be sitting back and waiting, thinking one day. You know, I've, I've had people tell me, preacher, I know I need to get saved. I'll wait till this Sunday. I'll come to church, and that Sunday we don't see Him. Very few people have ever followed through with that when they said they were going to follow through with it. But it's the same way for people saying they're going to get involved in their church. If everybody just flat served the Lord, do you realize what any church could do? If two people could turn the world upside down for Christ in the book of Acts, think what a church with a whole lot more than two people could do. They just woke up. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. You ever sleep through an alarm? Or hit a snooze. Oh, I used to be bad about the snooze. Now I wake up without the alarm. 
most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time, I wake up without the alarm, and I just jump out of bed now. But for, oh, probably 30 years, that wasn't the case. I, I don't know who invented the snooze, but that's not a good sleep, sleeping after the snooze goes off. Because just about the time you start drifting off again, it goes off a second time. And I've had it happen where I didn't hit the snooze, I hit the off. And then it goes off, and now, oh, no, I'm late. And, boy, suddenly you're moving. Why are you moving? Because I know the time, and I'm late. I need to get there. I'm going to miss that appointment. He says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. All right, go over to the book of Ephesians. He says, we need to wake up because of the time. Then Ephesians chapter 4, we need to wake up because of sin. That passage began in verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Reprove them. Isn't that interesting how those that are in wicked sin, I don't care what group it is, uh, we often call them liberals today, but regardless of that, they want us, they demand of us that we be tolerant. That's a key word. We're to be tolerant. We're to be tolerant of wicked, filthy, wicked sin. We're to be tolerant. That's just a problem, preacher. You're not tolerant. But they're not tolerant of us. But we're to be tolerant. Now, I look at this, and God says here that we are to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. That is our responsibility. You see, we are to shine the light of God's word upon them. Now, reprove is something, by the way, that pastors are told to do when they preach. When he said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Reprove. What's that? It's telling them they're wrong. Rebuke. Tell them how sorry they are that they're wrong. And then exhort them to get right with God. That's New Testament preaching. Why are we to do that? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Can you imagine Timothy getting this letter from Paul? And Paul's basically telling them this, saying, You know your church there, Timothy? Those ones that are saying amen to your preaching, time's coming, they won't say amen to it. Time's coming, they're going to heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Teaching has its place in a New Testament church. Don't misunderstand. The gift of teaching is one of the gifts to the believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But, in the, but the main focus in a New Testament church is not teaching, it's preaching. Preaching with all long suffering and doctrine. And preaching. They get taught in a Bible-believing church that preaches. Problem is, in too many of our churches, there's no rebuking going on. And we, there needs to be a whole lot of rebuking going on and reproving going on. Because sin deceives us. I fear that we have gotten to the place where we are willing to accept the alphabet of bad behavior because somehow people can't help it. And God forbid that we should offend anybody. By the way, let me just say this. This book offers absolutely no help for an alcoholic. But it does for a drunkard. Do you understand? 
We don't use drunkard anymore. Why not? Well, hey, that offends people. Alcoholic, that insinuates that it wasn't their fault, that they're a drunkard because of some magic gene that is in their body that makes their hand go from this bottle of alcohol. This isn't, by the way. From this, <laughs> this bottle of alcohol and put it to your mouth and makes you drink it and swallow it. And that's a lie. A man's a drunkard because he drank alcohol and God condemns it. And we don't have time to go through all those verses dealing with that tonight. But because of sin, we need to speak out against abortion. We need to speak out against immorality. We need to speak out against all this nonsense. You realize over in England, they claim that they have found over 105 different genders. Somebody said, if you gave a dollar for every gender, you'd still only have $2 and a bunch of counterfeits. It's male and female. That's it. There is nothing else. They're playing with people's minds that don't know any better. We have become a society that's just like Nineveh. People don't know their right hand from their left hand. I mean, a person can feel like they're a female when they're a male, and so suddenly we got to call them she. A person can feel like a male when they're a female, and now we got to call them her, he. This is wicked. It's not just nonsense. This is pure wickedness. It is a slap in the face of the creator of the universe. God knows what he made. Well, you're there. I don't need to belabor that point. I like preaching on Appreciate the amens. Matter of fact, I'd be worried about you if you didn't give a few of them there. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This verse. For lack of a better term, this verse haunts me. Yes, we're to wake up because of the time. Yes, we're to wake up because of sin. But we are to wake up because of the lost. Notice what he says. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Why does he say that? For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now think about it for a moment. The church at Corinth was started in about 52 AD. It was a city, they tell us, of 800,000 people. Uh, 200,000 of those were free men. 600,000 of those were slaves. Now, if you understand slavery back in the Roman Empire, it had absolutely nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with being conquered. If you were conquered, remember the Apostle Paul was from Tarsus. He was a free man because what the Roman Empire did when they conquered an area, they would declare certain cities as free cities. And anyone born in those cities were considered Roman citizens, even if they had never been to Rome, even if they had never been to Italy. So here was Paul, Saul of Tarsus, 
when the people were taking him to beat him, you remember the, the uh, Roman soldier that rescued him was going to have him scourged. And Paul says, you're going to do that to a citizen, a Roman? And the, the soldier said, with a great price obtained I this freedom. And Paul says, but I was freeborn. So you understand that slavery in the Roman Empire was nothing like what we talk about in the United States or in the different countries where the awful practice of slavery was done. It was simply being a conquered people. So 800,000 people from all over the Roman Empire, it was a seaport town. Paul goes in there, he starts the church. He wins a bunch of them to Christ. He's there for 18 months. He trains them up in the Lord. Three years later... He gets word in his travels that the church at Corinth has messed up big time. They've got a lot of problems. In the first four chapters, there's the problem of division. And of all things, they were divided over preachers. Preachers who believed the same thing. And they were divided over who their favorite preacher was. Now, how ridiculous can you get? But it got a whole lot worse. In chapter 5, there was a man in the church taken in adultery with his father's wife. And they were proud of it. They were puffed up, he says. He says, you've done wrong. They were puffed up. They were bragging about being very open-minded. And unfortunately, there are a lot of churches like that today. They allow all kinds of wickedness in their church because they're so open-minded. And he tells them, the next time you're together, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 6, you find out that they were going to law one against another. And he says, take the least of the church and let them judge between you. God forbid they would take their problems before the lost society. By the way, we don't do that today. What we do is we get on the world wide web and we spread all of our grievances about pastors and churches and believers because we have absolutely no spirituality about it. We don't care if the world hears about problems in church. Let me just say something. I don't care what group you get with. You get with churches, you get with clubs, you get with bowling teams, football teams, football fans, colleges. Hey, in every place, people are going to do wrong. People are going to do wrong in church. Do you know why? They got this flesh on them right here. And if you want to know what the works of the flesh can do, just read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17 through 21. If you're thinking, that well, church ought to be better than that. I agree it ought to be better than that. But until we get to heaven, it's not going to be better than that because of the flesh. And of course, the world and the devil also plays a part in that as well. So grow up. Get ready for it. God tells us how to deal with these things. And it's not going before a lost world to air all our grievances. I didn't have that in my notes, but I'll tell you that it was really good right there. Let me get back to where I was at. So then in chapter 6, he has to straighten them out about fornication. And matter of fact, I, I'm not going to preach the whole book of 1 Corinthians. He then has to deal with them in chapter 7 about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Chapters 8 through 10, all three chapters together, deal with eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. A subject that the Holy Ghost had already spoken on at the Jerusalem Council in 50 A.D. 
something that they were forbidden to do, something Daniel never would have done, and God's people are not to do today. You go into the grocery store, and if you see in the meat counter, on the meat package, it says halal meat. That's something that has been dedicated to the Allah of Islam, and God's people have no business eating it. It's meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Now you say, well, I didn't know that, preacher. Well, now you know. Trying to help you out a little bit here, but that's another matter. So he has to straighten them out, and he does that about that. In chapter 11, they didn't realize, they didn't understand why men were to have short hair and women were to have long hair. That when they prayed, they were to look different from the neck up. You see, if a woman prays with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. Her head is her husband. If the man prays with his head covered, he dishonors his head. His head is Jesus Christ. And it all goes back to why God created man and woman. He created them for different reasons. He created them differently as well in the actual creation act. And they didn't understand that. Well, hey, people don't understand it in 2022 in our churches. People get all upset about this matter of clothing. Yeah, we are to be different. But let me move on from there. I'll never get through the book. Then he has to straighten them out in the mess they were making of the Lord's Supper. Then in chapters 12 through 14, he has to deal with them about the gifts. Gifts were to be something good, but they were using them as something bad. It became a mark of pride for him. He has to deal with them about that. In chapter 15, he even makes this statement, how say some among you that there is no resurrection? I mean, that's fundamental doctrine right there, isn't it? I mean, if you don't believe in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ, you're not saved. You've got to believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. You've got to believe that. He had people in that church. Well, Paul must have failed in teaching them. No, he taught them. They didn't get it. Have you ever had somebody leave a church and they come, well, preacher, I left there because I wasn't getting fed. Now, listen, I don't know any Bible-preaching church or a pastor in this country. I mean, good Bible-preaching pastors who haven't had people leave them, and when they've gone to their new church, their statement was, I wasn't getting fed there. The truth was, they weren't eating there. Let me tell you where they were eating. They were eating on the Internet. Let's see, where was I? Chapter 15. By the way, then in chapter 16, he takes up an offering. So so here we are in chapter 15. I'm about done. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The printing press hadn't been invented yet. As a matter of fact, the New Testament had not been put together yet. Oh, some of the books, this is one of them, 1 Corinthians, that were being written. Some of them had been written, but the book of Romans hadn't even been written yet. They couldn't go to the Romans road to win anybody to Jesus that way. You understand that? They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have the book of John. They didn't have the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. (laughs) There's just a lot they didn't have. They didn't have 1 and 2 Timothy to read. They didn't have Titus to read. They were short on all that. They didn't have a car so they could drive from neighborhood to neighborhood. They didn't have that. Basically, all that they had was their mouth. City of 800,000 people, the only church in the city. He says there are some there that have not the knowledge of God. Church, shame on you. 
How long have you been there? Three years. The Holy Spirit of God expected the whole area to be reached. And because they hadn't in three years, shame on you. Now let me tell you why this verse haunts me. Madison Baptist Church where I pastor is 39 years old. I have been the pastor there, not for three years, but for 33 years. As I look around, Madison County, Limestone County, there are hundreds of thousands of people who have not the knowledge of God. We have tracts. We have Bibles we give out. We have John and Romans we give out. But we've not come close to getting the gospel to everybody. We have a radio station. But let's face it, you can have a radio station. It doesn't mean anybody hears it. I mean, they have to turn it on. They have to listen to it. Oh, yes, we have stuff on the Internet, too, to get them. But if I've been there 33 years, and I've got all these advantages that the church at Corinth did not have, I read this with my church in mind, and me as a pastor, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. Shame on you. We get satisfied with our crowd giving out a track here and there. We have Thursday night visitation, which most people probably go out for an hour. We have bus visitation where our bus visitors go out. We have a ladies' visitation. We have a number of visitation. All those visitations are usually very, very short. Meanwhile, we've got all kinds of... I'm, I'm preaching to me now. I'm preaching on me. I'm preaching at me right now. Because the Holy Spirit of God who is the author of what's written right here to this church, I believe is speaking to Mike Allison. Mike Allison, where you've been pastoring, not for three years, but for 33 years, there's a multitude that have not the gospel of the knowledge of God. Shame on you! Wake up! Wake up because of the time. Wake up because of sin. Wake up because of the lost. They're all about us. And we're going to give an answer to God. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112 and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.